As a researcher, I've been curious about how stories can create new opportunities in communities, and obviously the tapestry is an amazing example of that. Human beings have been using art to tell history for centuries and centuries and centuries, and it became a natural progress. It's just really exciting to see this augmented reality project moving forward, and hopefully we can try to bring those stories to some new audiences. Welcome to Coastal Connections, Stories from the Atlantic. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Eager, and in this volume, we will continue to cover local perspectives and focus on inspiring stories of resilience and innovation in Atlantic Canada. If you're new to Coastal Roots, we're an international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world. Today, in Episode 9, we travel to the town of Conch on the Great Northern Peninsula of Newfoundland and Labrador to hear how a town that was once primarily dependent on fisheries were motivated to diversify activities and pursue new economic opportunities after the Cod Moratorium. Now, this small town of approximately 150 people demonstrates their resiliency by drawing on their unique history through art and storytelling. Today, we will hear stories of how a few initiatives drew visitors in from all over the province, the country, and even abroad. Joining us today to share his personal and professional stories about Conch is my friend, colleague, and this episode's co-host, Dr. Brennan Lowry. Thanks so much for having me today, Sandra. So I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Grenfell Campus of Memorial University. Most of my PhD work focused on sustainability on the Great Northern Peninsula uh, and rural sustainability in general. And uh, that's how I got to know about the French Shore Interpretation Center and how I got connected with Joan. So I really just stumbled upon storytelling when I was going through my PhD work. Uh, I started out really interested in something really different, community well-being indicators and how to measure you know, sustainability in communities. But when I started going and spending time in rural Newfoundland and the GNP, I realized that th- those questions just weren't very uh, helpful or, or uh, relevant for people. They didn't really resonate. But what people were interested in was uh, telling their stories. And I, I just learned that people in a lot of rural communities have a, a great gift for storytelling and that, that that's valuable knowledge uh, in its own right. Brennan and Joan Simmons have worked on a number of projects together that share stories through the arts, including a new augmented reality project that we'll speak more on later. But first, I'd like you to meet Joan and the French Shore Interpretation Center, as well as how it came to be world-renowned. My name is uh, Joan Simmons, and I work at the French Shore Interpretation Center in Conch, Newfoundland, Labrador. I've been working there for the past 20 years. I started working as uh, a member of the French Shore Historical Society. But then in 2004, when we opened up, um, the interpretation center with the, our first exhibit. I went to work there as a as a guide, and now I'm manager of the center. The French Shore Interpretation Center was founded in 2004 to share the history and culture of not only Conch, 
but a large region of Newfoundland known as the French Shore. Local residents like Joan wanted to preserve the region's unique history, which was shaped by the seasonal fishing of French sailors who came back and forth to northeastern Newfoundland year after year, but never settled permanently. The Interpretation Center was also intended as an economic development tool to help the community recover from the moratorium and the hardships that followed. The Government of Canada issued a moratorium on cod in 1992, as the once plentiful fish stock had been overfished to near extinction. So the fisheries were closed to avoid the disappearance of this culturally important species, and a hard lesson was learned, that marine resources are not infinite, and existing regulations were not set up to sustainably manage the fishery. But there was of course a trade-off. The loss of access to cod put about 30,000 people in the province out of work, and ended a way of life upon which many generations had previously depended on. We have been here for over 200 years, and the fishery, the cod fishery, salmon, seals, capelin, everything, has sustained us. When the cod moratorium came, there was this big question mark in front of everybody who lived here. It was unstable for us for, uh, like, you know, a few years. I think we were searching for something else to do here, other than just to depend on the fishery. And an idea sprang that we were going to form um, a historical society. We went to work and we obtained an old building that had been a Grenfell nursing station that was in an awful state at the time. And we went in and we restored the building and turned it into an interpretation center. For a small community like Conch, an organization like the French Shore Interpretation Center can make a really big impact. Uh, The most obvious might be its importance for the local economy, since about 3,000 tourists come to Conch each year, and they're pretty much just coming to see the tapestry. Uh, But that's definitely not the only way that a place like the Interpretation Center helps to sustain a community. The center works not only to preserve the community's cultural assets, but also to showcase the artistic skills of community members. And obviously, the tapestry is a great example of that. Uh, It also draws on the community's strong social capital and the sense of community, while also strengthening it at the same time by bringing people together for a common purpose. And it could even be seen as kind of indirectly supporting local infrastructure. Last year, the road to Conch, which I don't know if you've ever driven down it, but it's a 26-kilometer road, and a few years ago, it was all gravel. They finally paved almost all of it. A couple years ago, and then last year, they finally paved the last five kilometers. So you you could think that the existence of the tapestry and the the interpretation center might have played a role in that infrastructure investment. So you could say it's become a positive feedback loop. The center and the tapestry attracts tourists who spend their money in conch. By making it more accessible, such as having better roads, is something that can attract more tourists, opening opportunities for those who did not want to make the long and bumpy drive. Paving the roads created better mobility around the town, a necessary investment for the town that otherwise would have continued to struggle without a new and blossoming cultural tourism economy. Let's get a proper introduction of the tapestry and the history of the French shore. The exhibit itself, well, it tells the story of the French Shore, the history of the French Shore of Newfoundland. The tapestry, it tells a more more colourful story. Basically, it's an embroidered tapestry using a bayou stitch, and it's done with acryl wool and linen. 
the tapestry is uh, loosely based on the Bayou Tapestry in France. Um, and of course, that depicts the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Ours depicts the history of the French shore of Newfoundland, and it's all embroidered images on a piece of linen that is 227 feet long and 21 inches high. It's framed within this room. Like I said, it has this huge column up in the middle of it, but the tapestry curves around the column. So there's a lot of curves, and sometimes people say it reminds them of the water also, that connection there. I have had the pleasure of standing in the room with the tapestry, and its sheer size and ability to convey the long history and diversity of stories from Conch was so unique and very different than anything else I've ever seen previously. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the history of the French Shore, Joan gives us a peek into her extensive knowledge of the area. It starts in the beginning of time. The artist just done creation scenes. And then it just moves through the timeline of our history with the Maritime Archaic and the Dorset of Paleo Eskimos, then through to the Vikings, through the arrival of the Basque and the Britons, and into the connections to stories that are connecting the English, Irish, Scottish settlers with the French, and moves right on through to right up until 1713 with the Treaty of Utrecht, until 1904 with the Entente Cordiale, where the French left the Newfoundland fishery. And then we go into some of the personal stories that happened here in Conch. We have a plane crash happened here during World War II, Dr. Grenfell's arrival on the coast, the Depression and Confederation with Canada and the resettlement program, basically right up to present day. And the last image in the tapestry is an image of the women's hands, which they were quite insistent that they wanted to be put in the tapestry. Wow, I could listen to Joan forever. And I can attest firsthand that somehow these beautiful hand-stitched stories allow every visitor to have their own experience with it. Brennan has led various community-based research projects that use different forms of storytelling. It's funny, when I first met Joan and was hearing all these great stories from her about the French Shore, I think that's part of what made me, I guess, realize the value of storytelling. And, you know, as I got more into thinking about storytelling as a researcher, I guess I was just curious about how can stories create new opportunities, you know, in communities. And obviously the tapestry is an amazing example of that. One of the the most unique stories that, that I've ever seen. I mean, human beings have been using art to tell history for centuries and centuries and centuries. And it was just, a, it was, it became a natural progress to our exhibit and to what we were doing. And even after the tapestry, everything that we'd done after that was all just became a part of the whole natural process that we have been doing since the year 2000. There was so much information out there on the French shore history. And it's just that we didn't have it collected. And uh, that was one of the part, one of the pieces that I love most about working with this is that I grew up with these stories, uh, like my father telling me stories that he had heard from his father, or my mother telling me stories, and the older people in the community telling us these stories. 
And uh, the interesting thing was that when we started doing the research on it, we were finding out the other side of those stories over in France. That in itself was, I don't, it was a very consuming process and it took us almost four years actually to, to get to the point where we had an exhibit that we were very proud of uh, because we felt like that we had done that history justice by taking our time and doing it right. Stories continue to evolve along the French shore as new information, perspectives, and experiences are added. Joan shares some unbelievable examples of people who have visited the center from all over the province and the country just to discover their own connections to conscious history. Every summer, there's always another story that is connected back to the tapestry like some some of these people might go away and then I receive an email or a letter from them and tell me like you know they were here they saw the tapestry and did you know this or did you know that right uh, there was a man here who came to see the tapestry from Vancouver a couple of years ago his mother had been um, a nurse uh, stationed in Rollington like in the 1940s 1950s and when he went back, I received this package one day in the mail. And he had donated all of his mother's little treasures that she had collected uh, in the couple of years that she had been stationed here in Raddington. All of her photographs of like people who are long gone, but like people knew who they were here. The whole story was amazing. Like I started posting these photographs up on the French Shore Facebook for like for the people in Raddington and like they were coming on saying this was who this was and, and like they were telling more life stories of these people. And and it's the tapestry that's doing that actually. Like it's the tapestry that's drawing people here to see this place. And um, they are adding to it. As fast as they are coming to see it, they are adding more to it. Wow, I have goosebumps. Apart from the tapestry, the center also has other artifacts with just as riveting stories and impacts behind them. One of our uh, main artifacts that we have at the center is a gold and silver medal that was donated to a man here in Conch in the 1850s by Napoleon III and the Office of the Marine in France. He saved the lives of several French fishermen over a period of, uh, I think it was two years, it happened twice, that he had done it. And one of the wives of the fishermen recommended him for these medals. We put that story in the tapestry. And the woman who embroidered Mr. Dower receiving these medals, because there's only one Mr. Dower left here in Conch right now, and she based the image of Mr. Dower on her husband. In one of the last scenes, there's image of the nurse who was stationed in Conch with the Grenfell Mission. She was there from like 1961 to 1983. The image of her is just holding a photograph of herself when she was a young young woman in, uh, in Conch. And we didn't know this, but she died while we were making the tapestry. And nine months later, we find out that she has left all of her wealth to our school children. Uh, like if they go on to university or to college, they get um, like, a, like a scholarship uh, per semester. 
The tapestry not only depicts visually the history and culture of conch with impressive stories and stitches, but the materials that were used to create the piece are also historically significant to the people of the area. The tapestry itself with the linen and the wool, wool has been like the mainstay of conch for, you know, for years and years and years. Because I remember my mother would take the wool from the sheep she would clean it and dry it and package it up and send it into St. John's to Briggs and Little and they would send it back to her with a spun wool. And I, I had the story of when we were um, a bunch of children one time um, and of course, you know, the wool was so precious because if they didn't have wool, uh, they didn't have warm clothing for the winter. She had all the, all the wool spread out in the meadow on top of the grass and this beautiful, beautiful uh, summer's day. And like there wasn't a breath of wind. And all of a sudden the wind came out some other way and the wool just went all over the place in the meadow. And like she's screaming at all of us children like to run and grab the wool because I think she was terrified that she was going to lose her wool for the knit socks and gloves for us for the winter. I think one of the most powerful things about the Interpretation Center is that the stories are being told not only through what's on display, but also by the actual materials that were used to make them. For example, craft production has uh, been a really important local skill and still is uh, in Conch and other communities on the GNP, uh, working with wool and other textiles to make mittens and hats and other uh, daily items. And it's really neat to see how the women who created the tapestry used those same skills and worked with the materials that they were used to working with. When we were building on the extension for the interpretation center, they had to put up a big column in the middle of the, the room. And it was this ugly, ugly column it was put there and I hated it. But there was a fisherman here who had retired years before. And every time I would walk into his stage, I would see all this bass rope. It's like a hemp rope. It's not nylon rope that he had coiled up um, up on the lot. And I always used to say to him, Lara, I'm going to find a use for that rope. Don't you dare throw it out. Don't throw it in the garbage. Don't, you know, just keep it, leave it there. And he, he always used to say, I hope you do. I, I, because he said, I don't want to throw it out, but it's just taking up space. I came back one time when I walked into the center and they were doing the renovations on the center. And when I saw that ugly column in the middle of the room, Right, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And right away, I thought of Lara's rope. Old fishing ropes that hang from the ceiling enrich the story of the tapestry and keeps visitors connected to present-day fishing culture. This big column that is coiled in basque rope. That part is like people even comment on it. Like that column of Coil rope is a piece of artwork in itself because it's all different colors of the uh, rope and the way that's put on there. But the tapestry is also um, laced into uh, a frame with rope. And there's a big uh, image in the tapestry of a fisherman holding a piece of rope because rope was so important to their work. And there's times when I, I look at that rope and I remember a story of my father showing me how to um, tie a boat on. 
and um, and you by using a half hitch, like it's a knot knot in the rope. And um, I used to think that um, that wasn't strong enough. And my father used to say, a half hitch will anchor the world. Another kind of connection that can make a big difference in places like Conch is the relationship between the community and universities. Unfortunately, a lot of researchers become interested in rural coastal communities for the problems that face them, like the cod moratorium or population decline, but don't often recognize all the assets that communities have to offer. When our co-host Brennan first came to Conch, he wanted to do things differently, and Joan made sure of it. So when I first went to Conch and saw the GNP for the first time, I think I was already sort of aware of this pattern of academics showing up in small communities and taking information and, and not really building a relationship. And I really wanted to try to have a different relationship with community members through my work. So for one, I, I spent a few months living uh, in Fortichois, which is not too far from Conch, and traveled around and talked to different people. But, you know, I really wanted to, to keep going back. I first met Brennan when he showed up at the center and he told me he was writing a paper on uh, something. And I said, sorry, Brennan, but like the first thing I thought was, okay, here's another one. But actually, Brennan was doing a paper on something different. He was concentrating on the, the strengths instead of the weaknesses. And I think that's what drew me to uh, becoming involved, because it was going to be different, that it wasn't just somebody coming in and, you know, writing a detrimental paper to, to rural Newfoundland Labrador. So only one of those meetings was a formal interview to collect data. And the other ones were kind of just, uh, I was, I just wanted to build a relationship. There was something about Joan and the center that I really just felt strongly about and wanted to uh, kind of invest in that relationship. Brennan shows real persistence because it's not like conscious just down the road. Even when he was living in Portichois, it was still a two hour drive away. But when he was in St. John's, now we're talking more like 10 hours of a drive across the province to get to Conch. As a researcher, a visitor, or even a project partner, there are some things to remember when working with rural communities. Brennan shares some lessons that he's learned. Whenever an academic researcher works with community members, and it could be rural or urban or any kind of community, there's power dynamics within that, and we need to reflect on that when we engage. When we show up on the doorstep of the community center or the town office or whatever it is, we need to think about the power that we have in that exchange. As I listen to Joan and Brennan, I find myself wondering what the local impacts have been from all this work. I'm pleased to hear that there is a lot of support for the work that the Interpretation Center and Brennan is doing as well as the messages that they're sharing with the world. I think one of the, the benefits, at least that, that some of my community partners have told me, is that it helps just to have uh, an outside perspective on things. If you're really embedded in a community, you, know, you can obviously know 
everyone and all the dynamics and all the strengths and all the challenges. But I think, you know, some of the people that I've worked with just, just valued having somebody who comes from far away and has a different mindset to, to look at that same situation and, and offer a different perspective. That whole concept of the interconnection between all the people, that's, I think, was, that's the most positive progress that we have made through the French Shore Interpretation Center. I get quite emotional when I talk about the support that we've had from the local community, because everything, everything that we have done at the center, everything that we have planned, we've included the local people in it, um, they've taken it on. Like We wouldn't have been able to do what, what we've done without them. So what's next for the center? As history and stories continue to evolve, so do mechanisms and technology available to share them. Joan and Brennan enjoyed their partnership so much that they've decided to continue working together on a new project that integrates augmented reality into the visitor experience. This innovative work will further connect Conch even more to new visitors and throughout other historic places on the Great Northern Peninsula. We're working with um, the Great Northern Peninsula Heritage Network. That's 13 sites on the peninsula that have come together more or less like to, um, to join up our heritage sites. And uh, we're hoping to get a story from each site so that when visitors come, they can have an app which has brought the stories in one of these stories in that community to life so that they can actually just like watch it on their phone or uh, iPad or whatever. And there's so many fascinating stories. Uh, it's totally amazing the ones that we, you know, we, we hope that we are going to be able to do. What's really exciting to me about this augmented reality project is that it started with an idea from Joan to explore this new technology. And really from there, we've tried to find the expertise at the university to make it a reality. Um, so we're working with Todd Hennessy, uh, who's a theater artist at Grenfell. Uh, and we're working with the computer science experts uh, in St. John's. At this point, we've gotten a grant from MyTax to hire three interns to work over the summer. But really that interdisciplinary team has come together um, in response to a community identified opportunity. And over the next uh, six months, we'll be putting together a very rough proof of concept of telling two or three stories from uh, across the, the Great Northern Peninsula with augmented reality experiences. An output of this project is expected to be a very practical augmented reality phone app that you will be able to use when visiting historical properties in Conch and around the Great Northern Peninsula. I think it's a very innovative project because it's combining those community stories, that, that asset that's so strong, and a new technology, you know, augmented reality, and designing a new experience. Uh, you know, Conch and a lot of the other communities on the GNT rely on tourism a lot. And this is a new experience that we're hoping will uh, bring in a different type of visitor. And, and bring more 
you know, more people to the area. We usually finish the episode with an action-oriented message, but today the message for me is very clear and will be extremely fun to follow up on. So I would encourage you to go explore and visit places that teach you about the cultural heritage of your area. You never know what stories will move you or even what personal connections you may discover. This episode, we've heard about stories coming to life through textiles, artifacts, photos, and technology. Preserving the cultural identity and history of a place can help connect us to, as well as stimulate and support, thriving communities. A big thanks to Joan and Brennan for proudly sharing their experiences on the French shore. After hearing from Joan, we began thinking of other ways that people tell stories. So our next episode continues to explore how stories are told through music. Join us next time as we talk to some local musicians who are well known for telling stories through their music. To connect with the people you've heard on this podcast, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. Coastal Connections, Stories from the Atlantic is a production of Coastal Roots Radio, produced in partnership with the University of Guelph and Memorial University of Newfoundland, Grenfell Campus.